This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1982's Alone in the Dark, directed by Jack Shoulder. And we are joined by our friend and producer, Brendan Klein. That's me. Hi. <laughs> that's you. Hi. <laughs> We watched Alone in the Dark from 1982, uh, which is... Yeah, not the one from the mid-2000s. No, yeah. Uh, or the video game. <laughs> ran into that too, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it is all on YouTube. Um, like, the whole movie's streaming on there. I mean, I'll just throw that out there. And in surprisingly high quality, too. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, ancient slasher movies unearthed on YouTube, and I love it. Yeah, is it available? Can you get it legally? Uh, streaming? Can you rent it? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Let me double check. Because um, I know it it was streaming on Shutter because I found a page for it, but that page is dead at the moment because they must have taken it down. Normally, I've noticed that if a movie is on YouTube in full, it's not streaming anywhere else. Like yeah. that's like how it doesn't get taken down. It's not on Shutter. Uh, yeah, that- Amazon. Oh yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, that's what. Yeah, you are right. Like generally, that's the only way to watch it if it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I watch a bunch of that old stuff, just because you know, get people don't care. Well, especially the level at which I'm watching these slasher movies. Right. Like nobody's like, yes, this ABC TV movie about like soap opera stars being murdered. Like nobody wants this on Blu-ray. <laughs> I want Phantom of the Mall on Blu-ray, and I had to watch that on YouTube. Oh. Hell yeah, Phantom of the Mall is iconic. Yeah, that movie rules. Like, I legit really enjoyed that movie, and I I just am waiting for, you know, Screen Factory or Arrow to pick it up. Surely, surely it's it's next for someone. Like, I just, I keep feeling like they're going to run out of titles to put on Blu-ray at some point, and they just don't. Well, yeah, I mean, what's that movie I watched at your house? Blood Lake? God... <laughs> Well, that was that was DVD at least because, look, every movie deserves a release, but like you don't need to watch that in high no. def. It certainly wasn't shot in high def. <laughs> yeah, I definitely sometimes when we watch these movies, and it's like I'm given the option on Amazon, it's like SD for two ninety nine or HD for three ninety nine. I'm like, all right, let's see, what year did the movie come out? What was its budget? Yep. Yeah, SD is fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll save the dollar. Thank you. 
Uh, the synopsis for this movie is a quartet of murderous psychopaths break out of a mental hospital during a power blackout and lay siege to their doctor's house. Um, and it was released November 12th, 1982. Yeah, I the budget, I couldn't find any information except for like IMDb says 1 million, but with no source to back that up and nowhere else on the internet uh-huh. says that. So, I mean, sure, that's probably a good guess. Well, look, IMDb also says that Slumber Party Massacre 2 is 90 minutes long, so it's not always right. <laughs> it's it's 62 minutes long. <laughs> That's barely a movie. Oh, it's it's plenty of movie for that amount of time. It's so good. Um, it's, you would think that the budget had to be okay because what I was – I mean, the cast is really – Crazy cast. Yeah. Crazy good like, cast. very, very well-known. And, like, at this point, they were all – well into their careers so they had Mm -hmm. been established like veteran actors for a while at that point but we'll we'll get to that in a moment or won't we or should we talk about uh no we'll get there we will get there um okay yeah because it's like i'm ready to talk about this but i have this little this script here to follow Um, you're you're forced into a um a format over here brennan no we we love formats yeah um, the reception, uh, and I talked about this last episode. So it's Rotten Tomatoes at 70 approval rating based on nine critic reviews, but those cr- critic reviews are current. Um, so these are not reviews that were taken at the time the movie was released. So I think that's always important to note um, that it has a current, like we're talking about journalists that are going back and watching this movie. That's not, this is not like, indicative of what people were saying about alone in the dark in 1982 i don't know what they were saying it's a mystery it's a mystery we'll never know and run tomatoes is not particularly great at like archiving reviews in that way either no it's really not um yeah it's it's weird because and we're, we're just about to talk about this like if you see the poster you've seen this it's like a very iconic slasher poster um and it's funny because this movie's not wildly talked about um, when trying to look up, you know, reviews that took place at the time. It's not like the Times or Variety or like any of these places or the Post or any paper reviewing films in 1982 were talking about it. They weren't. It wasn't that kind of release. Yeah. And that's probably why it's so difficult to find like right. the box office and budget information too. Like – as far as I can tell, it would have been a pretty indie release because also this is this is New Line pre Nightmare on Elm Street, right? And Elm Street was already like a very low budget indie kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and this is you know produced by Robert Che, who you know also produced um, Nightmare, and it's like the same situation. This is the film before they made any money, and they made money off of Freddy. Exactly, and now in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Right? Because <laughs> they're two claims to fame. I mean, I'm sure Freddie paid for Lord of the Rings because every every second I was watching, I'm watching these movies, I'm like, how? How did they know that this would, you know, recoup this massive investment of money that they, they spent on this movie? Yeah, I always wonder that. I mean, I guess they just look at how many books sold and if there's like cons and people going to, you know you know, a public want for it. And they just go like, all right, cool. We like have this fan base. 
So we'll make money off of them and then we're going to make it, you know, we'll throw Orlando Bloom in it with some like long hair and we'll get, you know, all the tweens to come see it. And I mean, that's what got me in the theater. Yeah. I just, and the fact that the world, it was lit aflame by a three hour fantasy movie is, is it boggles the mind that Mm -hmm. they thought that it would be successful. And it's even more mind boggling that it was successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think they would get made in the same level now? That they did then? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, it would be much more CGI heavy. Um, They wouldn't hire like, you know, 100,000 people to play orcs or whatever. They would just hire 20 and then CGI the rest of them. Right. They would have made it a lot different. Um, But yeah, sorry. Alone in the Dark. We're still talking about that. That's okay. Uh, Yeah. What do you guys think about the poster before I give my hoity-toity response? Um, Well, I like it quite a bit. Um, It is... It just it kind of reeks of the like eighties slasher nostalgia because it is it is illustrated right, mm-hmm. yeah. As far as I can tell, yes, it is. Um, it's got the kind of cheesy tagline with way too many ellipses. Uh-huh. Um, like literally, I mean, look, I have a lot of affection for this poster because a snippet of it I've used as the kind of like header photo for my slasher page on my blog since it started, uh-huh. um, which is just like the leg with the axe next to it and then the tagline like they're out for blood don't let them find you um so yeah i I like this poster a lot yeah rye what do you think um i mean i do agree with brennan that it's like it is very prototypical of what you think of when you think of like an 80s slasher movie um and i think the imagery i like the again the i like that it's illustrated you know like I, I still have my complaint of that person is not in this movie. Uh, and also, like, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't okay job. How do you know? There's no face. Well, no one wears jeans in this movie, Brennan. I would have noticed. Um, Fair enough. This person, I don't know. I, I think, like, for work boots. Yeah. It, like, so it's, for me, it works as, like, looking at it. And I'm like, this is a cool looking poster. And I think it would, obviously, like, it grabs your eye. And so, I think it would pull people in. Um, It just like, I definitely was expecting a very different movie going into it based on this poster. And then once we got into it, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, and I, I, I was fine with the movie that was had, but like looking at this, you, I was expecting something different. You've been misled. Yeah. Well, I I guess you're right. It's almost like maniac. Like Mm -hmm. what the poster Mm -hmm. looks like. Or like like mixed with the you know you got the woods in the background you're expecting something kind of Friday the Thirteenth y like very straightforward and this is it it's a slasher that breaks from the norms quite a bit mm-hmm. yeah it's a slasher that turns into like a home invasion film um, which I like because this portrays that you know you see the house in the background and obviously like you see your killer like sort of stalking the house and being like oh that's my destination. Um, it's very well laid out, very well drawn. Um, your eye is led from top left to bottom right. That's exactly what's supposed to be, you know, what it's supposed to do. Um, you, the poster really flows like aesthetically because of that. The lightings, um, the way it's highlighting the house because of the way the moon is and the highlight off of the axe is then leading you into the type. Um, that's all beautiful and extremely well done. The typography the like custom type um i don't love it's insanely stylized but not 
with really any purpose. And I, I mean, I do enjoy like the O kind of playing with the idea that that's supposed to be like the moon and, you know, the whole alone in the dark thing, but I think it kind of like falls short. And yeah, the tagline, they're out for blood. Don't let them find you alone in the dark. Like, all right. And it's that type specifically is poorly laid out, especially with the M dash before we get to alone in the dark, Um, which if you didn't know, like really dorky graphic design, when you see dashes, there's actually three types of dashes, hyphens and dashes and M dashes. When it's a pause in the sentence, it's an M dash. And that's what you see after find you. Oh, yeah, that's your graphic. That's good to know. Um, often not used correctly, but it's used correctly here. <laughs> oh well, good for good for alone in the dark. Good um, for them. But the thing is, the the over punctuation of it is super messy, but I find it very endearing. Um, yeah. It's just like it's it's so eager to try and freak you out that it kind of trips trips over itself. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, yeah, and then yeah, same complaint as Rye. Like you, this is not the movie that you get that it's portraying i mean this is like a singular killer with an axe covered in blood which we do get an axe kill in this film but it's just you know it's selling a slasher which this is a slasher film but not this type of slasher so yeah i mean you got to sell it right Mm mm-hmm well, and, and by the nature of having the, well, and we'll talk more about this, but by like having the four killers and having multiple locations, it's a very diffuse slasher. Like there's a lot of slasher elements, but they're spread out in such a weird way that they don't feel like stereotypical slasher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what mm-hmm. the poster promises. Right. Yeah. Exactly. We have the tagline. There are lots more ellipses, by the way. Um, turn off the lights and watch. If you dare, when the lights go out, the terror begins too frightened to breathe. And the movie that cuts like a razor. That one's nothing. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. But the lights ones at least kind of evoke the blackout element of the plot. I like that. Uh, yeah, those work. I hate too frightened to breathe. Um, and the movie that cuts like a razor. Uh, they, are the like Brennan said, the movie that cuts like a razor just makes no sense. And too frightened to breathe is one of those ones that like someone just pulls out of a like generator, you know? They're like, oh yeah, we need a horror movie tagline. Boom, too frightened to breathe. Well, and look, really the only one that I have seen is that first one that they're out for blood, don't let them find you. Um, I feel like these must have been for some video release in like Guyana mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. A lot of these come off of like the back of like VHS and DVD covers um, where who knows whatever distributor is putting it out is the one who's deciding what the tagline is going to be like. Yeah, or like on, like on one of those multi-packs of eight movies, that tiny little like shitty CGI Photoshop poster. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's like no – that's the funny thing about when films are marketed is that once the like distribution rates get sold, like how they market it on their own media is like mostly up to them, which is bananas. Which is how this wild crap happens. Right. Um, there's no sequels, guys. But it does set up for one. Um, it ends with sort of a slasher nod that, you know, this, the killing's not over. 
Oh yeah, that was that was an interesting ending. Yeah, L- laughter. Yeah, it was. Yeah. We'll get there. It was it like lead, it wants to lead you somewhere. I think with it, we'll get there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. And also the the killer that this movie completely forgets. There are four, and only three of them actually come into play in the third act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one has an identity crisis. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was uh, directed and written by Jack Shoulder, um, who we talked about in last episode. He is also the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge in 1985. Um, and then again, a uh, few credits, uh, The Hidden in 87, Renegades in 89, Wishmaster 2, Evil Never Dies in 99, Arachnid in 2001. And the last thing he did was 2004's 12 Days of Terror. This sounds Christmassy. Is it Christmassy? Probably. I'll look it up. Um, I can speak to uh, Wishmaster too. It is okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. It, uh, I don't know if I'd recommend it, but one guy does wish that a lawyer can go fuck himself, and then he fucks himself to death, which is kind of fun. What? Yeah. I watched all four of those movies. Mm. They have they they do a rapid decline in quality um, from the first one all the way down. Oh yeah, well actually the fourth one I think kind of rallied itself back for me. Maybe I hit, I was too far into the abyss or something. Um, look, right, it's, it's no. not good, but it's better than three. It has a LARPing scene in a park, Brennan. Like they shot that at a city park in the middle of the day, and you know it. Hey, what's wrong with that? I really like role models. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I, I mean, they're not supposed to be looping. No. It's supposed to look cool. Yeah. Um, but the movie is about, like, this relationship more than it is about the genie. And I was like, you know what? I can I can spend some time with not this dumb, crappy genie, whatever. Anyway, Wishmaster 2 is, <laughs> if you're going to watch one of them, let it be two. Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the worst of them. Uh. Oh, why not? Um, Twelve Days of Terror is a shark movie, by the way. It's not about Christmas. I wonder what the decision of that was, but I'll still probably watch it. Hmm. Interesting. Well, there's that. If you feel like a shark movie, that hopefully wears a Santa hat when he kills you, that'd be fun. I sure hope so. Yeah, we can only hope. That's a real movie. There are what? already yeah, um, Christmas Jaws. I think it's called. What? No, you're full of shit. Oh, Santa Jaws. Santa Jaws. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, what? I think I do think that's a real thing. Yeah. He wears a Santa hat. I don't know if he wears it, but it's a real movie. Yeah. A shark oh manifests and kills his entire family. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It was made in uh 2018. Wow. Wow. Fine. They took my idea, whatever. Oh, he does wear a Santa hat on his fin. On his fin. It was it has to be sci-fi, right? Yeah, of course. The sci-fi channel. Yeah. Fuck. Um he has a higher me sci-fi channel. I've got great ideas. He has a horn on his head that's a candy cane. A Please horn? Don't. Yeah, he's more like a narwhal. Okay. Well, Sweet. All right. I, I know what I'm watching tonight. Tonight? No, that's against the rules. December. Uh, fine. I guess I'll wait. This is interesting. So the score was done by um, a guy named Renato Serio, who, except for this movie, his entire filmography are foreign films. They're all like action adventure or like sci-fi italian and spanish films so like how did he get this job one one would love to know 
I was actually I was also looking at his IMDb and it's like it's it's ti- uh movies where the titles on IMDb are in Italian, which means that they never really made it over to the US. Um because yeah. usually the IMDb will have a translated title. Um so it's like, yeah, how did how did you wander your way over here? Yeah, it's so like it's baffling to me. Like sometimes when I see people's works and then they have these one random slasher movies, and I'm like, fuck, I need a goddamn documentary. Like and for somebody to contact these people, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of these people have passed away um, who worked on this film. But you'd like to know. That's like the downside of the smaller films is there's so little information about them. These films were just made and put out and then forgotten. Yeah, the cast and crew, like, I feel like a lot of the times it's like somebody random like the editor or like one of the like special effects they go on to do like really modern things but then a lot of the stuff it's like just nothing it's like lost in the abyss yeah and there's so many mysteries that are kind of crop up because of that Mm -hmm. yeah like this one like renato serio yeah he probably was cheap which is why they got him. Almost certainly. It was edited um, by Arlene Farson, who we talked about in the last episode. Also the editor for um, Freddy's Revenge. And then did House of the Dark Shadows in 1970. And The Man Who Would Not Die in 1975. Sure. That sounds like a woman. It does. Right? IMDb has like no information about this person. That sounds about right. <laughs> so i'm not sure i didn't dive any deeper but it does sound like a woman yeah and because like i i am hesitant to go like hooray a woman filmmaker in the 80s because i have been fooled by first names before and where it's like uh-huh. oh, it just is a dude named leslie or whatever um but go her if she is or identifies as a woman yeah correct especially in 82 in the filmmaking yeah, exactly. world it's like so rare that's pretty cool <laughs> Joseph Mangine is our cinematographer who would go on to have a pretty uh, – these were all like very camp movies. Uh, did Smoke and Flesh in 68, um, but then did Neon Maniacs in 86, Sword in the Stone in 82, Mother's Day, which I believe is a trauma film in 1980. It sure is. Yeah, and then the Swamp Thing TV show. So that's a lot of camp in there. And a lot of stuff in general. This is just sort of the famous for and or related to horror credits. Uh-huh. God, Mother's Day is kind of a reprehensible movie. I did not like Mother's Day. Oh, I don't like it at all. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not for me. Mm. I never watched the remake, though, so I don't know about that one. Yeah, I mean, it's Darren Bowsman, so I'm sure it's got something on him. Mm. I didn't think I realized there was one from the 80s. Maybe I'd have to have to look it up and see if I was familiar. As far as I know, it's one of those remakes that isn't really a remake at all. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, slaps Mm -hmm. the title on it, does its own thing, which is for the best. So the special effects uh, is done by Matt Vogel, who like did the fire in this movie, and apparently like that's his specialty. He's gone on to do like a lot of things, but I thought it was funny. His credit for Chud in '84 was flamethrower effects. <laughs> yeah, but he also did um, all good things that like thriller with what's that really pretty guy? Oh my god, what's his name? Ryan, the Hey Girl guy. <laughs> That's yeah, immediately who I thought of <laughs> when you said really yeah. pretty guy. Well, that's what he is um, with Ryan Gosling and like Kirsten Dunst. And then Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, uh, oh. The Living Dead from 1990, Maniac Cop 2. He's like kind of all over the place. But yeah, like a very 
large crew like of movies and always special effects and often listed for fire yeah the the, I, the famous fire scene in nick and nora's infinite playlist <laughs> right <laughs> what special How effects could we do they have i'll have to, I'll have to rewatch. um there's like some decent action in that movie oh really I was just thinking maybe he did that toilet full of vomit that she drops her gum into. <laughs> Brennan, god damn it. That seems so gross. Ugh. That is, yeah, it has really stuck with me for this long. <laughs> I forgot about that until just right now, and now I see the entire scene playing yeah. out. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. So the cast is stacked. Yeah. And they are all actors that were, like, at this point, veteran actors, and it's always interesting because like none of these guys were ever heartthrob dudes. Like they're just like very talented, well-known respected actors. And I'm not saying like those are distinctively like individual traits to have, like you could be both obviously, but yeah, these are all guys who did like at this point, what 82. So most of them had probably already been acting like for over 20 years. Yeah. Well, the weird thing about this, looking at these credits is that these people went on to work a lot, even afterwards Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. i was kind of thinking like oh is this like the male version of whatever happened to baby jane like exploitation of like just getting old actors to just slum it in horror films in their later years but it's like no they went on to do things too yeah no especially like i couldn't like quite put my finger on it but yeah the guy who plays frank he's been like city slickers Mm -hmm. and batman like though like movies from my childhood i'm like oh my god that's exactly what but it's like hard to place like you just don't expect it to be him and the whole time i was watching the movie i'm like i know him from something like something i watched as a kid a lot and then i looked up his credits i'm like well makes sense oh yeah yeah he won an oscar for city slickers and i think landau won for ed wood too so they would go on to like still get nominated in academy like movies yeah we we are for the record talking about jack palance and martin landau yes thanks brandon yeah no problem two actors who i have almost no relationship to with because i'm not a straight person (laughs) (laughs) just like looking at their filmographies i'm like yep that explains it i don't really care uh, not an Ed Wood fan actually Ed Wood I do really want to see like I don't mean to be unfair to Ed oh, Wood obviously so Landau was in North by Northwest which is you know Hitchcock and whatever yes um yeah but just like I wasn't and whatever know, also... she wasn't rushing out to see Tango and Cash or City Slickers well I wasn't even alive but whatever god damn it <laughs> straight and young <laughs> that's my tagline <laughs> So we have Jack Palance as Frank Hawks, um, and we have Martin Landau as Byron Preacher Sutcliffe. Uh, we talked about those two. And as we mentioned, like Jack Palance has over 127 credits. He's in City Silkers, Batman, Contempt, Tango, and Cash, a slew of Westerns. Um, he had a very, very prolific career. He started in like the 60s, went well into the 90s. Um, and then Martin Landau uh, was Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood. He was in North by Northwest, obviously, which is an incredibly famous and iconic Hitchcock film, Crimes and Misdemeanors in 1989. Erland Van Lith as Ronald Fatty Elster, uh, who was also in The Running Man, which I do remember him in that movie. He only had four credits before he uh, died of heart failure at 35. He was a wrestler, an opera singer, and a computer scientist. What is he, the most interesting man in the world? 
No, he wow. was so interesting, right? Because I like pulled up his credits. I only saw four. And then I was like, oh, like maybe he passed away. And then I saw he passed away at 35. And I was like, well, like he was like a bigger guy. Like I wonder what it's from. And then I saw heart failure. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's usually what happens. And so then I looked it up. I'm like, well, like not to judge, but like was this heart failure because of an OD? Like what was this guy into? So I like got into his Wikipedia page. And what a fascinating guy. Yeah, like went to MIT for computer science. Wow. Yeah. And then was became a wrestler and got discovered while wrestling um, to be an actor and was in like like film. I don't have listed here, like some random movie. And then somehow also got into like opera singing from that. They're like, what? oh yeah, by the way, like I can sing opera. I don't know, like insanity. And like, you just wonder like what his career would have been if he didn't pass away so young. That's such a shame. Yeah. And like, that's another thing where it's like, this is someone who we need to have a documentary about that probably just won't ever get yeah. married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's make it guys. Like I'm, yeah, he was Dutch, like just extremely fascinating. Um, yeah. Dutch American actor. He attended the Summer Olympics in 1976. For their heavyweight wrestling team. His family is in the Dutch nobility. <laughs> what the f Yeah, okay, guys. I'm telling you. We found we found our purpose in life. It is to make a movie about this guy. Yeah, this guy sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, Philip Clark is Tom Smith slash Skag. And he, this is like his only credit, right? Like a couple things, but nothing of note, really. Right. Um, and then we have Donald Pleasance as Dr. Leo Bain. And Heard if, of him. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you guys would recognize him as uh, Loomis from Halloween. And he would go on to be in, how many was he in? Five of them, maybe? Uh, one, one, two, two four, five, six. Four, yeah, five, five six. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he was, uh, that's, I mean, he's, again, another actor that was a veteran actor, has been in a ton of things, but, like, for horror fans, easily the most notable he's is Loomis. Loomis. Yeah. Um, we have Dwight Schultz as Dr. Dan Potter, who would become a video game actor, who it looks like he's still working, because Fallout, Spider-Man, Final Fantasy, yes. Wolfenstein are all fairly recent. If it's a video game that's come out since, like, the 90s he's like voiced for it it's insane interesting and then he was also in star trek voyager as barclay for well b wrote here he's been in it for like so many years i can't even i don't know what that is but i'm guessing it's seven years from 95 to 2002 sure let's say i that. just started star trek voyager um because i'm a nerd and now i want to know who barclay is i'm like i'm only like four episodes in but which character is this you'll have to keep an eye out for his extremely nondescript face <laughs> i mean yeah sure. that's true um, generic dad yeah he is pretty generic dad um yeah uh deborah headwall plays nell porter she has a few credits but um sort of most notably is actually randomly barbara and jessica jones um lee taylor allen as tony potter elizabeth ward as lila potter brent jennings as ray curtis who's in um Witness in 85, Moneyball in 2011, Red Heat in 1988, and then another 48 hours in 1990. It's funny. When I saw Red Heat, I like looked at the cast and I was like, Schwarzenegger and Jim Belushi, right? That's his name? Belushi? Uh, yep. Jim? That's his first name? That's, that's the name of um, Belushi. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, been going through the action movie still still and i was like is this an action movie ben you didn't show me this one but it's a comedy so it wasn't part of my assignment it's also like i've never even fucking heard of it which is weird because i felt like i knew every schwarzenegger movie i've never heard of it either that's why when it came up i was like what is this movie like i'm missing out on my education and then i got less interested when i saw it was a comedy oh which makes sense um, rounding out the cast, Frederick Coffin as Jim Gable, and then Lynn Shay uh, appearing as the receptionist at Haven. And she's not like a real receptionist, right? That scene was great. Yeah, she's a patient. Yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> He's invisible. Uh, you can't see him. Why not? He's invisible. Yeah, so um, that's fun. We got to see Lynn Shay and Nightmare, obviously, and then she even had the cameo yeah. here. I wonder how many of these early New Line movies she popped up in. Almost all of them. <laughs> yeah? Okay. I mean, you know, her brother was in charge of New Line, and she was like, you know what? Can I be on screen for 12 seconds? And he's like, sure. <laughs> but she is great, as always. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Subgenre, it's a maniac slasher. Um, and also a uh, home invasion movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's kind of like Leprechaun in that it's like a very different kind of slasher. And then it just becomes a like one house siege movie at the end. And you're like, how did how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like they all end up at the house. Like that's the purpose of the killers, essentially. So they're like, well, we got to go there. That's where he is. So that ends up being like battleground. Um, and our killers are the third floor psychopaths, um, as they're constantly referred to in the movie as like the patients on the third floor. Um, so that is the the ones uh, that's Frank Hawks, um, Preacher, Fatty, and Skag. Who Skag is also called something else, right? They call him like he has like a serial killer name. Uh, the Bleeder. Is that it? Yeah, because he mm-hmm. gets nosebleeds anytime yeah. he kills someone. Yeah, what is that like Valentine? Yeah, and he's the guy who eventually puts on a hockey mask. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Uh, because they wanted to, I mean, it's part of the plot to protect his face, but I did read that like, that was um, Bob Shea, like really liked that idea of having a killer with a mask that wouldn't be revealed until the end, which is why he, they made the mask. Um, like they, they put that into the script and, and then also of course this movie was like based on a lot of those blackouts that were happening back then with all the looting. And that was another Bob Shea idea. Oh, was that actually happening? Yeah, it happened like weirdly throughout the 70s and 80s where there would be like, especially remember in New York and like Son of Sam, like it would, there were all these like rolling blackouts and like people were like looting and like, I mean, that's when Son of Sam struck and like, I don't know, it was really weird, but it, it was like, it was something that happened back then was just like when these blackouts would hit, people would go loot everything okay because mm-hmm. i thought that scene was wild because i didn't know about the historical oh, context yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah that's what was going on at the times is that um this would happen because the like the infrastructure wasn't set up for like the boom that happened and like all these new like housing developments that were built in like the 70s and 80s um and like the power grids literally could not keep up with them mm-hmm. wow. and so before any of those were updated it's like like mass like any of the big cities like had these crazy blackouts yeah. that um would affect like the entire grid of the city and this is what happened like people just went crazy yeah and son of sam was um 76 so like this is like right out of those like you know five five six years after that was happening a lot and like be said like la new york like these bigger cities their motive is what is their motive yeah, yeah. they think that their new doctor so our, uh, and their new doctor is um Dan Potter, uh, they 
Yeah, they think he killed the old doctor, so they want to kill him. Also, they're all sociopaths. Psychopaths. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's also their motive is they are just kind of, you know, sociopaths. So like, mm, kill. Let's do that. Well, they're escaped mental patients in a slasher movie. That's what they do. Right? Yeah. It's their purpose. Yeah, when it was happening, like when it first like it introduced, I'm like, all right, so how is this like how is this gonna play out, right? And I was really I was like pleasantly surprised that it wasn't all gonna take place in the um hospital. Like I was expecting that's where it was gonna go. And I was very pleased when they escaped and I was like, All right, cool. Like it's not I don't know if it's just like the particular mood I'm in or if like, that's just not my favorite type of slasher. But I was just like, I just really don't want people, like, hiding in rooms and running from building to building right now. Like, I want something a little bit more. With more meat on those bones. Yeah, you know? So I was pleasantly surprised when they escaped. And it wasn't like, hey, we've made it off the third floor to the second floor. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely wreak havoc a bit before that final like house sequence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah they get into like oh you know like you're in my way like I'll just kill you. In in several pretty hilarious sequences. <laughs> yeah, so we have no iconic weapon. They kind of are just making well near the end of the movie. Each of them has kind of like just picked one. At least Hawks like has his crossbow, and I think um, you know um, Preacher uses that knife, but he also gets an axe at some point. Um, so there's definitely no iconic weapons. Um, and then this is a higher body count than I expected. I, I guess I you know like I always forget to include when our killers die, but uh, we do mm -hmm. get ten people. But even the victims. Yeah, yeah, no, we get ten people killed in this movie. That's a that's a pretty decent amount. I saw on like some indie blog somebody talking about the film they counted 11 they counted somebody like off screen and I don't remember that plot of the story so I didn't include that but potentially there's 11 somebody else caught oh, somebody me... else who died I took a count too let me see what I got to no I, I only have 10 also yeah so I'm gonna stick to our count and say 10 I mean, I did have a moment where I thought, because I there are four killers, the hockey mask guy never comes back in the end. So I was like, did I miss him dying? Um, so uh -huh. I kind of rewound to see if he showed up, and he didn't. Well, he's... he's well, he's Tom. He's, yeah, he's Tom. Wait, what? Yeah. Is he? Yeah. 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 That's why they hit uh -huh. his face, so they could introduce him later, and no one would know who he is. Uh -huh. And then that's why he bleeds, oh. yeah. Wait, what? I missed this. Yeah, he's the... That's the big plot yeah. twist. Huh. Okay. <laughs> That's look... why they killed... Why do you think they killed him in the house? Dude, all, all these white men look the same. <laughs> um, I was watching... Says the... a white man. Yeah, look. I don't have to look at myself all the time. Um, no, I don't know I what I look like. Um, but no, it's, it's, it is a bunch of white men between the age of like 35 and 55. And that is my bad spot. Like, that's why I don't understand Saw 5 at that's all. every 80s movie. <laughs> Saw <Yeah>. 5. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's true. That is, like, literally, especially these movies that aren't, like, you can't fucking see shit. And we don't have, like, a cultural reference for their hair and their outfits and, like, their style. So to us, it kind of all looks like 80s garb. 
And often I'm like, I don't like this movie because it's a family. It was easy to differentiate between the like cast that weren't killers. But yeah, the killers for sure. Like it definitely wasn't until I was like rereading the plot that I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that guy's name. Okay, cool. Oh, like, okay. I, oh, you, okay. You I get that. I mind. get that. Um, yeah. So there's the big twist of the movie that you didn't catch on to look, watching it. I have. I had no idea. I I am embarrassed, but also whatever. It's like, look, yeah, no, obviously, I know the mom. The part. I know Donald Pleasance. Yeah. I know the little girl who talks like she's forty and is really annoying. Um, but I don't know anyone else. Yeah, I because I thought it was funny that they put him in this like hockey mask, like full hockey mask, and then he kills the guy to get the van, and then literally he's like, "Okay, bye." Like. I'm going to go kill – like, it seems like he's like, oh, fuck, I just killed somebody. I'm going to go do that some more. And he, yeah. you see him run off screen, and then he never yeah. pops up again. Like, I'm going to go protest You just assume that power? he's gone. <laughs> well, he lied yeah. about being in the – why he was in jail. All right. Well, obviously. Because they even say that, like, but, he – they well, were like, why would they let him out if they knew he murdered someone? They – I don't know. I he, this movie was written by Jack Shoulder and and Bob Shea. Like it's not masterminds. I mean, look at the plot. Like it's pretty loosey goosey the whole way through. Um, you know, which like, is why I I, I assumed. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I assumed he was at the protest, and he would had just wandered there like after the riots of the night and was just like scoping out. Like, I don't think it was part of their master plan that he go to the protest and befriend the sister of the doctor they're trying to kill. Like, I definitely don't believe that. I feel like he just stumbled upon mm. them. And then when they start, like, I mean, maybe it's very nonsensical that he ends up at the house staying for dinner. I don't know. But, you know, I'm, I'm, do we need sense? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm really <laughs> thrown off by this whole thing. Um, I'm doing some research. I need to get some red string. Because I'm like, I'm looking at my body count. I'm like, did I even include Tom? Did I black out during this part? Yeah, they said, that's why I'm saying like, why do you like they stab him because he starts bleeding when he's holding the sister, sister whatever her name is. And Nobody cares. she's oh, like, wait, starts Tony. realizing that he's, yeah, Tony, he starts, they then realize he's the bleeder. And that's why they, you know, we're talking about that iconic killer like three times in the movie. Like, oh, yeah, he bled through his nose when he'd kill people. And so he starts bleeding through their nose and they realize that he's one of the escape mental patients. And that's why the wife like, ah, and stabs him. Well, also because he's trying to kill the sister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that mystery is still a mystery to me. I'm straight up after this, I'm going to rewatch the ending of this movie because I don't know what happened. Um, I was really overwhelmed because it was just like a conveyor belt of white men like coming into the kitchen and then being oh, destroyed. Yeah, no, and... for sure. Mm-hmm. So this movie, the the first thirty minutes is really slow and boring. Um, it's just establishing these mm-hmm. killers and this doctor. He's new in town, and like why the doctor's here, right? Yeah. And like Loomis and his weird like haven, and they're not like technically like a a real like. I don't know. There's all these like subplots about his Haven and how he's like super, um, you know, like he super it's efficient. Very new age. Yeah. Yes. It's very new age. And so like, it's, uh, it's, it doesn't matter. None of that shit matters. Like Loomis bear, like 
I don't need or not Loomis, whatever the Donald Pleasance. I like uh-huh. almost doesn't even Dr. need Leo it. Bay. Wait, yeah, Leo? yeah, he doesn't need to exist yeah. in this movie. Really, there's lots of weird things like, like the whole the whole like all the time we spend at the Haven is a lot of time spent there, um, and also when his sister comes to they're nude like they just moved there too but his like sister comes to stay with them and like it's her whole weird like punk rock she's super into punk now and like is you know against the nuclear against nuclear power like there's a lot of strange stuff that is kind of just like thrown in there yeah for nothing and like it's like they're all in there for so they can do one thing later on um, like, you no, know, she's mm-hmm. into like nuclear punk so she can have that weird hallucination about like a mutant in the window and, mm-hmm. and also so they can go to a nuclear, For no reason. yeah, they can go to like the demonstration or whatever, like the protest. Well, yeah. I, Let's I, talk about the opening scene. Oh, hell oh, yeah, we should. Yeah. That's yeah. What the hell? Well, so they're like in a diner and like, it's all the killers, right? Like, well, in, we didn't know it at the time. Uh-huh. I think it is. It's de- definitely Preacher is there. Because yeah. it's Mom's Diner, and Mom comes out, and he's like, hello, Mom. And she's like, hello, Preacher. And I'm like, we're in a dream. I'm ready. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for this. Um, and yeah. then he, yeah, he wakes up, and I'm like, wait, what? Okay. What was that there for? And then that serves no purpose the rest of the movie. No, but that this scene is why Jack Shoulder got the job for Nightmare 2. Like, this right. is his, like, it's so, like, Wes Craven-y pre-Nightmare. Uh-huh. Um, Because uh-huh. you get the, like, it's super surreal. Donald Pleasant served up, uh-huh. serves up this the giant frog. fish, and there's a frog on the counter. And then he pulls yeah. out the cleaver, and it starts to rain inside. And I'm like, hell yeah, this movie's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. That's exactly what it felt like, especially after just watching Nightmare. It felt weird to be, I was like, all right. Like, I'm seeing, like the dots connecting to how this like guy got a nightmare on Elm street two uh-huh. after this film. Yeah. I, I think the surreality but, of that scene is really good. I do too. It's just confused me. Like when we get through the rest of the movie, because that scene plays no purpose and there's no scene like it in the rest of the movie. Like maybe that weird, like, yeah, dream sort of state that she has where she sees the like, mutant person yeah like if they wanted to make an argument about like sanity versus you know reality and imagination it didn't mm-hmm. really work there was mm-hmm. no line drawn no. there obviously they needed a west craven to make that happen for that <laughs> right but maybe that was the idea there that we are trying to play with like aren't we all because that seemed like it was like an overlying message of this film was like uh-huh. aren't we all like crazy yeah which i think is better executed in the like the looting scenes of like look the world is full of violence right. and chaos and insanity it's not just us who are inside these walls mm-hmm. right and then the whole reason why dr leo loomis or whatever his name is <laughs> is like so new agey and it's like because that's his philosophy is like they're still people right like even uh-huh. though they're murderers and psychopaths like they're still people um which ends up being his demise but the whole time i was watching it i was like all right so he might be in on it but if he's not in on it like you know i like what he like i like his message like i like what he's trying to get across yeah well look and also 
I, he turns out not to be in on it. Donald Pleasance is just extraordinarily yes. bad at keeping track of his mental patients. <laughs> he has a history. Why did they hire him? <laughs> um, I was wondering too that opening scene. Like, I'm I I've read the Bible, but not in a really long time. So I'm wondering if there's like biblical allusions there, since he is so obsessive over the Bible. Because that is mm. preacher who has that dream, mm, right? True, true. So and like I know frogs were like Maybe, yeah. weirdly present in the Bible a lot. So I don't know if there's like some something there. You would be the one to ask. Yeah, I mean I know there was yeah there were frogs at one point. Like that was a plague, you know. So I don't know if that was something like that. Um, but maybe. Wait, there was a plague of frogs in the Bible. Well, it was like part of adorable. <laughs> it was part of like, like, um, you know, Moses and all that shit. Like, <laughs> they, they, like frogs came up and like invaded. The- <laughs> uh-huh. No, right. You don't understand. I don't know what all that shit is. Moses and all that shit means like, oh yeah, I've heard the name Moses. Okay. Like the story have, of Moses. Have, Moses. Like, have Moses. you seen Brendan Fraser's The Mummy? <laughs> I have, yeah. Doesn't he invoke a bunch of plagues? Like all the locusts show up yeah. and the water turns to blood. That's yeah. the biblical plague. Yeah. So frogs is one of those. Yeah, it's like part of it. Thank you, Brennan, You're for welcome. that. I know how to speak B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we get all this expository stuff, um, and it leads to the the doctor, his wife, and his sister are going to a a rock concert, a punk concert when the blackout happens and the blackout allows the third floor patients to escape, which is also when we get our first kill. Um, and they go after yes, because they are, it's like, they make a lot of points in the beginning to say they're only here because of electricity. Oh yeah. <laughs> that is the only thing. There's no bars. It's just electricity keeping them in. And then, Oh look, a blackout surprise. Yeah. Yeah, so they they go and they attack Ray, who is our clerk, who is the one who told um, generic dad doctor. Fuck, I'm not going to remember any. The only name I remember is Bunky, because what the fuck kind of name is that? (laughs) We we will get to Bunky. (laughs) Yeah, so um, Dan, uh, uh, yeah, they they uh, Ray is the one who tells Dan that they want to kill him because they think he killed the other doctor. Um, And there is like this whole scene where like Frank tells uh dan to not listen to ray because he's he's not very good at his job or or i don't know they don't like ray because he's a gossip i guess um and he speaks ill of them um so that's our first kill is uh ray hides in the closet and then like he comes out and it's preacher and i i really feel bad calling this guy fatty like um he has a a real name, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's Ronald. I just, like, Fatty is his, his murderer name, I guess, but... <laughs> um, but it's pre- oh, don't guys, what's your murder name? <laughs> it's uh, Preacher and Ronald uh, get him, mm-hmm. and he, he ends up getting snapped in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like, like, his back is broken over the guy's knee, right? Yeah, it's like Bane and yeah. Batman. Intense. It's like a, yeah, like a wrestling move. He just picks him up and is like, "Oh yeah, I know how to well, do he this." He is a wrestler, yeah. Yeah, no, it's full circle. It makes sense. They're just like, "Yeah, kill him." I don't know how. Just you know, figure it out. And he's like, <laughs> oh, "Okay, that's what I used to do in wrestling." And there we yeah, go. And yeah. then we get our black man done first. Oh, oh bad trope. Goodness. Bad trope. 
Um, and before we move on to the next death, I found I solved one mystery of the missing eleventh death okay. that B you were finding, of trying to figure out. Uh huh. Um, because I had ten because I totally skipped over Tom dying. No, <laughs> so there is one. Um, oh right. But the eleventh one that that person was counting is that other Doctor Larkin. When they steal his car, they like punch through his car window and they like hit him in the head. Mm. Um, it's a really weird and poorly choreographed death, but I do think later in this scene they do say like, "Oh, that guy died." Oh, right. Okay. Okay. I just assumed they just knocked him out. Yeah, I did too. But same with I, like the guy on his bike. But you know. Oh, he's he did. <laughs> yeah, he like he like flew forty feet in the air. It was yeah. spectacular. Uh, um. Oh yeah. I really love that scene. <laughs> no, I did too. So we get like one full night of blackout, like and the raids that are happening, the riots. And, you know, the, the family is at this punk show, which again, I don't really know why that scene exists um, because nothing happens like to the family that the night of the blackouts um, other than the doctor having to go like check on the patients, but they're at a punk show and um, the blackouts occur and we get to see our killers like they start looting as well as with everyone else. And um, we do get a death here like they steal. They do steal a van. And this is when Skag, um, he like rips the guy's chest open with a, like, what is that? It's like a like a garden trowel. Or yeah. Handbrake. Yeah. Handbrake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For your garden. Yeah. And then I thought I, mean, I thought that scene was actually cool. Like it's. Like it was decently graphic, and then when the like the imagery of the blood on his mask, I thought was really cool too. Yeah, um, yeah, and I just realized in the hospital, this is the guy who was up against the wall the whole time, right? And it's like, oh, he doesn't like to, and that's why we didn't see his face. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, Full circle. But the, the thing is, also like the the handwrite kill is a little gorier, but also I think it speaks to like I think a lot of the violence in this movie is poorly shot because I thought th- he used the handwrite to like pull out his trachea or something. Like it was unclear like where on the body he was swiping at. And once there's something on the rake, you're like, I don't know what that is. Some sort of turkey giblet. No, I was like, I don't know. Yeah, like part of your chest, maybe. That's what I like. Yeah, it was. That is a really good point. I- when I wrote the kill down, I was like, I mean, yeah, he slashed at something. It's just, you know, there's some gobs on the rake. So, you know, he must be hurt. Mm-hmm. He, he seems dead. He fell over. Yeah. I mean, he's on the ground. Things aren't going well for him. What movie did we just watch that did that be? Iced. Like, it mm-hmm. it would pan, like it cut anytime there was a kill, really, because of the budget when it really yeah. allow for it so this this feels similar in ways um so we that. go like a whole day like it's also odd because this whole this whole blackout happens and you would expect it like everything to happen in the night of the blackout but it doesn't like we we go into the next day and everyone like is going around like normal in the daytime because they don't need all of their lights so um the doctor is at the hospital and the the mom and sister decide to go to this protest uh, against nuclear arms, and they just like leave the daughter behind. No, she's at school, right? Yeah, she's at school. They were supposed to be home by the time she got back, but they got arrested. Yeah, um, th- th- all that stuff is still like really odd to me. Like, I get it. Like, you plan to be back, but it's just so weird. It it's so unnecessary. Oh yeah, yep. We're gonna go protest nuclear arms while. 
what's her face is at school and in the middle of the day in the middle of these blackouts it's a very it's a very 80s trendy thing to do right yeah i mean there's nothing that bugs me about them like doing something while she's at school i mean that's a normal thing to do it's just that's a very specific and does not relate to the plot of the movie at all reason to they needed a reason for them not to be right. home when she got right. home from yeah. school but that could have been like you know we went out of town to go to the mall or you know right but they had to get arrested so they could bring home the bleeder <laughs> sure right they needed a reason for the bleeder to come home with them um and while while this is happening like while that's all happening the killers are just like gallivanting around town in their van um and there's a a mailman on a bike i think he's a mailman right yeah is he yeah i kept yeah is that what mailman looked like in 82 that he had no mail he i think he he had had like a he just had an outfit yeah he had a bag but but see because they stole his hat so he could use it as a disguise to look like a male guy so he must have been a mailman Mm mm-hmm yeah, a mailman with like the tiniest little messenger bag of mail. This town must have like ten houses in it. Yeah, and everybody hates each other, so they don't write letters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, this seems to feel like they're just driving along, and Landau, like, or preacher, just points at him. He's like, "I want that," and so they like run him off the road, and then they back into him. And the scene where they back into him is truly cartoonish because, like, he gets mad at him, and he like. Yeah, and I wrote down his line. He says, what are you, some kind of asshole? (laughs) Yes, I wrote that down too. It was so good. And then they back up into him, and when they hit him, like he literally flies through the air like at least 20 feet backwards. Um, And then they also land out and steal his hat um, because they have this plot to try to trick their way into the house. I don't really know what the fuck like their idea is here because like he does show up and he's like going to trick his way in. But then later, like what's his name? Ronald. Ronald just like fucking walks in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says he's the babysitter. Yeah. To the little girl though. The house was just like, oh, that open. Scene was horrifying. That was the scariest scene in the movie to me because I didn't know where they were yeah, going to well, go with it. And he, he is a child molester. Right. And like, they've noted that numerous times right. by this point. And we know by this point in the movie, if they note something a bunch, it's, it's going to be something horrible. Later. <laughs> um, oh, I will say really quick before we move on. Um, they do a, a roll call at the uh, asylum to see who's still there. And they're like, we're still missing sunshine and David and Lisa. Um, I just want to say David and Lisa is a very famous play that got made into a movie about two people in an insane asylum. Um, so it's like, I see what you did oh, there. Well, Easter oh, egg. Yeah. Awesome. Love that. Look at that, Brennan. Oh, another Easter egg. This takes place in Springwood. Yes. yes. Before Springwood, you know, ever came before, to Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I caught that when she goes, when she's talking about the punk band, she's like, they're great. And they're from New York yeah. and they came all the way to Springwood. And I was like, oh, okay. So we're going to, we'll be back here. Yeah. Is, is this the new line shared universe? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it must have been like a Bob Shea thing. He's like, yeah, this is where it's going to take place. You know what I wish was a Bob Shea thing is the name Bunky. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. What is that name? I was like, literally, I was sitting there trying to go like, what? What could it be a nickname for? Like, I just, I have no idea. And then I knew Punky Brewster existed in the 80s, but that was after this. And 
I so I was just like, what what is Bunky? What where's it come from? Bunky is an incredible character who does nothing. Like, is it short for Bunicula? Um, like, I just <laughs> I'm just so confused. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, I found there's there's a jazz musician named Vernice Bunky Green. Her middle name is Bunky, or like Bunky's in quotations as like a nickname. It's quotations. So what the fuck is that a nickname for? Vernice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. There's a pun. The Carl Bunky Lauks is an American politician. Bunky Henry is an American golfer. His name is George. So they're just giving this name to everybody. Yeah, like what the fuck is Bunky that's mean? So weird. A person who speaks shit all the time? That's Urban Dictionary. Don't, don't look at Urban Dictionary. <laughs> According to Baby Center, it's the 16,876 most popular name in 2019. There are people, there are babies out there named Bunky just <laughs> crawling around. Yeah. So. Are we assuming her given name is Bunky yeah. or it's a nickname? What? There's no way this is true. It must be a nickname. <laughs> I guess. Um, Bunky, dude. Apparently, this can't be true. They're telling me that two million people were named Bunky <laughs> in 2018. That's impossible. I can't. That's no. not true. <laughs> uh, um, um, I'm looking up name meaning websites, and they just say like, "Oh, you're very creative." And I'm like, "I don't need astrology. I need to know." <laughs> I just want to know how someone gets the nickname Bunky, like. I, I, it's, I'm trying to think of like a quality or an attribute you could have where someone be like, oh, that guy's really bunky. <laughs> okay, listen to this. Um, this is a New York Times article called How Famous Nicknames Were Born. And Bunky's on here. And it says... Oh my God, I'm also on this article. <laughs> love it. Um, a cartoon character was responsible for, for John Randolph Hearst Jr. acquiring the name Bunky, a comic strip that appeared in his father's paper. Oh, um, and his father said, you look like Bunky. Um, so it was okay. a character in a cartoon. Interesting. And well, then nobody's yeah. walking around named like the Wizard of Eight or anything. <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I love that's the fucking strip you pulled out. Oh, yeah. That's all I can think of. <laughs> Oh my god. Find, uh, there there, there are not two million kids named Dagwood in 2019. <laughs> oh my god. According to allbabynames.com, Bunky is a nickname meaning sleeps a lot. All right. Because they are in the bunk bed. I guess. <laughs> okay. Oh. She is in a bed. Uh, oh, Bunky is the babysitter. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. She's not sleeping. Yeah, Doctor Dan calls Bunky to ask if, because he is a, a, uh, notified that his wife has been arrested with his sister, so he realizes his daughter's. Which he's so chill about. Yeah, he does not give a fuck. Um, so he just calls the babysitter and he's like, "Hey, can you just go check on her?" And so she does. We find out that even though Ronald was in the house, he did not do anything to her. Thank God. Um, yeah. Ugh. So she's taking a nap. So Bunky uses this as an opportunity to have her boyfriend come over to have sex in um, Dr. Dan's bed. As you do when babysitting. Oh, Billy. I was I was like, was he really credited as sexy time boy? But that's just. <laughs> no, that's what <laughs> I, I could be putting my notes. <laughs> that's oh, what is. I called him until I found what his name was. I, just say, yeah, I don't think we find out his name till like after he dies. And like this scene. I did not like it 
Um, they, it was like, it's really intimate. It's very like, like kind of nice, but in a way that makes me feel weird. Yeah, like <laughs> it's very soft core. Yeah, and also though, like they're both very skeletal. Um, so I did not. In, I, no, I'm saying. You can't say you don't like a scene because you don't like how their bodies say, look. That is yes, not okay. Yes, it is. I'm saying that his his spine made me uncomfortable, okay? <laughs> That's all I'm saying is that his spine made me uncomfortable. So you're just like, is this splice? <laughs> what am I watching? I'm just saying. I, I'm, that was it. I just needed to say his spine. When it, I saw his spine, I was like, oh, that I don't like. That's too much spine. <laughs> Let me tell Mm, skeletons are such a turnoff for me too. I get it. Um, so they're Good they're Lord. about to have sex, and she hears the noise, so she makes Billy go check, and he checks the closet, and there's nothing there. And then on his way back, he is grabbed by Preacher from under the bed. Um, and then Preacher starts like stabbing up through the bed to try to get Bunky. <laughs> and um, it's a it's a cool scene. It, it's also reminiscent of the bathtub scene in Elm Street because the the knife comes through the bed like right between her legs. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it took her way too long to get off that bed, though. Oh yeah, she was. Just, she, I, that's why she named Bunky because she doesn't want to leave the bed. <laughs> yeah, and she like whimpered. She'd be like, "Ah, oh no!" Ah. And she just like, kind of looks she, at it. Yeah, and she finally braves like to get off the bed, and uh, he takes a swipe at her and misses. But she is met by Ronald, who literally just chokes her to death in midair. Another wrestling move, by the yeah. way, choke slam. Oh yeah. I'm telling you, they just said like, oh yeah, I don't know, just do things you know how to do. And he's like, okay, cool. And then he sings an opera song beautifully. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we'll cut that <laughs> while coding on the computer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what a man. Um, yeah. Oh, I I, I don't want to like jump the gun, but the next death is for sure my favorite. The, yeah. So this and this also is all. This is where all the weird strings like get thrown together because like. The police are there because they realize that Ronald has been there, but they don't know that Bunky and Billy are dead. And then this is also when what's his name show Tom shows up with the daughter or with the mom and the sister, and they invite Tom for dinner because he drove them there and let them use his phone call. Uh-huh. And then also they randomly just invite the detective to stay for dinner as well. And he just does. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought. Did he have nothing to do? I just thought that was so weird. Like, he's like, hey, uh, detective, I know that we already have an extra, like, seat. So do you want to stay for dinner? And he's just like, sure. Also, that's so rude to his wife, too, because <laughs> she's like, oh, I have to make food for two extra people now. I know I invited someone, <laughs> but whatever. Um, anyway, and also, isn't he on the clock? Can he just sit down and have dinner right after showing up to do his That's job? That's what I wondered. I was like, is your day over? You don't have to go report this. You don't have to write anything up. Like, you don't have to follow up on anything. You're just staying for dinner. He's like, oh, this is the last thing on my, uh, on my whatever. Um, but he gets shot in the gut with a crossbow, and then shit kind of gets wild from there. It was awesome. Yeah, this is where the movie, like, ramps up. Yeah, and it's... And this is when you know, like, something's kind of fishy with Tom because he gets shot and then he's like, no, we need to think about ourselves. Like, don't go out there and help them. But, like, he just got shot with arrow. Like, that doesn't mean he's dead. Like, Yeah, but also like... if you run out there, you may also get shot with an arrow. Oh, so glad to know that Brendan would leave me hanging on a tree. Thanks to no B would save my life. Thank you, E. 
you're welcome. Why would save you? This is a random detective, right? And like, would you save a random person when your family's inside? I don't know if I would. I don't think I would choose to like orphan my son to save a stranger. What if your son was an annoying girl with <laughs> crazy pigtails who tells me not to smoke pot? <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's a different story, Brennan. What a mo- She's so judgy. Luckily, mine can't talk to me yet. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Mom, pot's bad for you. And I'm like, you're eight. What do you know? <laughs> oh, what a moral quandary that B dropped on here. It got real deep. Um... Yeah, no, but seriously, like, you – at that point, like you put family first. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, what? Who's to say you won't also immediately be shot with a crossbow? <laughs> no, you know, someone has one and is right there. Yeah. Like, I don't know how yeah. much help you're gonna be unless you can, like, eliminate that person from the equation. Right. And so the crossbow is mm-hmm. that's Frank Hawks is shooting, but we never he doesn't show up. Uh, like this is all off screen. He doesn't show up until near the end of the movie. But it is like assumed that he's kind of the mastermind because he is also a former, he's a veteran, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's the one who has kind of crafted this plan with the other killers, which the bleeder is not a part of at all. He's gone rogue. Yeah. So do we think this, we know they planned to kill him together, but do we, I mean, we don't think that they planned out exactly how they were going to do it. Right. This is just, yeah, this is improv. Oh, working out how it works yeah. out. Yeah. Because they tried the whole, you know, Landau or Preacher shows up and tries to do like the telegram thing and he's not there. And then they show up again and he's not there. The little girl's there. Um, so like they've a couple times tried to show well, up and do something. Also, when Ronald was there with the little girl, there's no evidence that the other killers are also with him. They seem to be kind of just freely wandering. Like that yeah so landau or preacher had showed up by that point because the mom and sister hadn't left yet so i i also feel like the killers are, are like literally just out in the property behind his house just kind of walking around and like occasionally stopping in and being like are they home yet okay nope yeah. and then like what a what a fun day <laughs> a little stroll in the yeah woods. and then by nighttime it like when it rolls around and like the detective shows up that's when they finally decide to like make their strike because they realize they're all home dr leo so they go to dr leo's house right do they or because the no he goes no, to their house because no. the phones are down yeah he goes right, to their yeah. house yeah and then because like, he gets notified yeah and then they're like run away call, call the cops the murderers are here and he's like oh great let's talk to them <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, that is exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah, preacher shows up and he like tries to. He's like, "I'm so glad you're okay, and the outside world has not harmed you." And then he chops his ear off, um, and then he just like stands there, obviously like in shock. And they try to get him to come inside, and like that whole scene was funny to me, where Doctor Dan runs outside and he's like, "What are you doing? Get in here!" And then preacher just starts walking in. And he's like, "Oh shit!" Like obviously. <laughs> um, and then uh, Dr. Leo gets in his car um, and, um, you know, he tries to reason with Preacher now using the Bible, saying thou shalt not kill. And instead, Preacher brings down some old school biblical vengeance on him with an axe. And so he is axed to death. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah. And then it's kind of like a, an assault on the house at this point. 
There's like a fire that gets started. It's just it's exactly what Brennan described earlier. It's just like a bunch of like middle aged white guys like doing things. None of them that are really of any importance. Yeah, and then everyone's hiding in the kitchen, and the men just kind of file into the kitchen to cause mayhem and be killed. Yeah, like through that one singular Uh, door, they all kind of just like come in to Mm -hmm. to die. And and before this happened, so and we I talked about it a little bit. There's that weird scene where like a mutant pops up, which I thought was also very random that they threw that in there. Um but yeah, so we basically like it's all within like a 10 minute span. Ronald comes in, Uh he is stabbed by Tom with a meat cleaver. Um and so he is killed like he's stabbed and then he attacks the doctor and then Tom hits him in the chest like hits the meat cleaver with a bat. And then that was pretty Tom, cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, I liked the, I liked that they like just had him hit the meat cleaver farther into his back or to have him like killed. Um, yeah, that was intense. And then generic dad gets the car started and he's trying to get like everyone out when he hears them screaming and he comes in. This is when we realize that Tom is the bleeder because he's bleeding all over um the sister whose name i can't remember and she's also like yeah Yeah. and it also like takes her way too long to realize that's happening and then she like like licks it too Uh uh-huh yeah which was odd um and then yeah preacher's last one killed he is stabbed and shoved into the basement and then basically we have this stinger ending where um where frank gets away and he goes to a bar and there's like a punk Uh rock chick there and he like pulls a gun on her <laughs> and she starts she's laughing into it. Yeah. She's like super into it. And he pulls a gun on her and points it at her and she starts laughing and he starts laughing. And then they're just like laughing together. And that's how the movie ends. It's, yeah. you know, the world is chaos and violence and punk. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I wasn't because I couldn't tell anyone apart. I wasn't sure if that girl at the end was Tony or not the sister who had kind of just fully had a breakdown. But was it just some random girl? Uh-huh. It, it okay. was. I did. I thought it was her too. I thought it was Tony. Um. So I like reround and checked, and it, it's definitely just like some random punk chick. Oh. Okay. Great. Yeah. I feel like there's some sort of message with punks here. Like Jack Shoulder doesn't like them or something. <laughs> like huh. <He> definitely <laughs> doesn't understand them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't understand a lot of things. We come to find out. Mm-hmm. Um. But. I, yeah, I think it's more so just a message on, like, the punk mentality, right? That it's sort of, like, nihilist, like, anarchy, fuck the world kind of ideal, which is sort of the message this movie promotes or is, like, trying to say about people. Like, the mm-hmm. commentary it's making on society and about, like, our tendencies of violence. And so I think that's part of, like, you know, the moshing at the club, like that's a weird thing right people go to fucking shows and hit each other yeah. and like it's a form of you know quote-unquote dance um and obviously that was just getting like massive at the time and so yeah i think it's trying to be more of a commentary on that it's like you choose to like partake in this loud violent music and you know this violent dance while doing it like what kind of person like i mean that's probably reading it into it a little bit too much but i get those like general vibes from it right yeah you you get that it's trying to say something right (laughs) i i see the intention for sure um no final girl or boy we have a whole surviving family so uh the final the final survivor trope is completely skipped over here yeah that's not a that's not a a 
a trope happening here at all. Um, let's let our guests go first. Brennan, what was your favorite kill in the movie? Oh, you already said. Yeah, it's it's the the crossbow kill in the gut. None of the kills in this movie are super gory, so I just picked that one just because it it kind of is the I don't know. It kickstarts the like exciting part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really enjoy the handrake kill because. Oh yeah. And again, I think it's more the kill itself isn't like super graphic, but it's the like I think it shows that these guys are like definitely violent. I mean, we saw them kill Ray too, but like that they're, they're not afraid to kill for any means. Like at least Ray, they kind of had intent. Like they didn't like him. They knew him, but they, yeah. they'll kill. And they for, were escaping. They, right. right. And this is to show that they'll kill for any, like whatever they want. And then also I, I enjoy the imagery a lot of the hockey mask with the blood on it. I just thought it looked cool. So. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not, particularly fond of any of these kills like Uh none of them i'm like yeah no that was a good one like was excited to see that they're pretty damn lackluster which is unfortunate especially with how high the how high the kill count is um hmm (laughs) i think it, it has to be the handrake one because i think that's like the most um entertaining one of the bunch the whole mask motif the the, exactly that's and that's definitely the moment in the film where i'm like okay so they're not just gonna kill because i didn't know because they're surrounded by people at the raid they could have easily just started freaking they walk out with guns and you know their weapons of choice for the film the crossbow they could have easily just started killing people and they didn't and then i was like instantly proved wrong when they kill the guy in the van because they need to and i'm like okay so it is going to follow the typical slasher route where they're going to kill anybody who kind of just is in the way Mm -hmm. Mm um i wouldn't say this movie has a position in the horror landscape really it is uh i don't think it's talked about very often i think it's i mean it's on youtube (laughs) for a reason I think it's talked about among slasher people as like kind of one of the like of the lesser known tier. It's one that people would say like, oh, check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was looking at my letterbox and most of the people I follow who watched it gave it like three or three and a half where everyone's like, it's fine. Yeah, right. Which I think is exactly where it's going to end up on mine. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. It's it's a competently made movie, and it is very yeah. inter- like the second half is very entertaining. So I can understand like it is something I would never suggest to a non horror fan, but it is definitely something yeah. I would suggest to a slasher fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's totally fine. It does what it needs to do <laughs> for the most part. Um, cool. So at the end of every ep- episode, we do rank our movies. You can find this list at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Um, our oh, number... hold on. Before we rank it, I forgot to say what my favorite quote in the movie was. Oh, great. Which is my bad because I forgot to put it on our, on our, um, you know, format. But when they're in bed, when Bunky's in bed with her like little boy toy <laughs> and they're, she's, hears the noise in the closet and he goes, he's like, oh, it's probably just their cat. And then I just am obsessed with the way she said they don't have a cat. Like it was just amazing, and I about died. Best line in the film. 
that's that, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, mine, good. mine, I already said it's the what yeah. are you some kind of some asshole. kind of asshole. <laughs> oh that i like that they don't have a cat because it's like something that in a ghost movie would be like applicable like if a cat showed Mm -hmm. up or something they like like you know you see like a kid and it's like they don't have a kid they don't have (laughs) a cat um so this is our 60 Second. second movie um, number one is A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, and uh, the bottom of our list is April Fool's Day, Girls' Night Out, which was another one of Brennan's choices, and Cry Wolf. Sorry. Um, don't worry. I don't think this is ranking quite that low. Mm-mm. Yeah, it, it's it's passable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just it's, – it's a slasher for sure. It's just one that sort of deviates from the natural blueprint, but uh-huh. not in a way that's really – inventing anything or giving us anything um with that inventiveness Mm -hmm. um it's just sort of like yeah okay we're just gonna do it differently yeah yeah um so that makes me look what be are you looking around like 40 mid 40s yeah Brennan, do you have access to our list? I wonder if you can see these two. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. I just want to make sure we're not just like talking about this list. And you're like, sure. Um, I mean, I it's like you just said, like it's a slasher. It just doesn't like do a whole lot, which that kind of reminds me of like the Prom Night remake, but it's definitely better than the Prom Night remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because we – so we're lacking like I would say two – to three of the really big like slasher tropes is one is obviously the final girl final boy um Mm. like that missing that without focusing on like the psychosis of the killer um like is a big that's usually like the alternative is like you're seeing it from more of the killer side than the final girl or final boy um so like that lacking the fact that we have no like family tie or like flashback to then cause these events it's just sort of like i moved to this town um and they them wanting to kill him because they think he killed the doctor or really they're just inventing a reason to like go after this guy they could have easily turned that into like a history thing um which would have fallen more in line with um the slasher formula um and then i was gonna say something else and it evaporated from my brain that is okay um, yeah. For my money, I mean, I see you have the carpenter at forty-seven. <laughs> I would put it above the carpenter because it's more focused than that. Like it's more, it's more recognizable as a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Um, like if if I get a vote, I'd put it probably like right above Black Christmas, which is has that like supernatural, the Black Christmas twenty nineteen, right? Yep. Which does sort of a similar thing where it kind of like derails as a slasher into something else. Yeah. No, I was actually thinking that too, right above Black Christmas, because it falls into line with like, I still know kind of where like it has those tropes or like it's still a slasher, but it just doesn't like really do a lot to add anything to it or do anything particularly inventive. But and I still know we still get like the final girl and the horrendous backstory is still there, um, even though it's so bad. Um, But Mm -hmm. Ben's son uh <laughs> but it still exists so i think yeah i think the new it the i think 47 is like right in line cool b mm. 
Because it also, like, Game Over does a similar thing, too, where we have, like, almost that home invasion aspect. It's, like, it kind of moves away from the Sasha formula, but we still have a final girl in it, um, and we still have that arc in it. So, I like, you know, like... And these sort are... of, like, a past trauma causing the right. events of the film itself. Yeah, so we're, we're it's, like, falling right into rank with, with very similar tonally, like, movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So Alone in the Dark is our new number 47. We have um, picked the movie we're covering after. It's called Dream House? No, Dream Home. Oh. Yeah, the I think it's Japanese. Um, uh, isn't it Hong Kong? Maybe. You, yeah, it's Hong Kong. It's a 2010 Hong Kong slasher. So that will be the oh. movie that we'll be covering after this that you'll hear. Uh, Brennan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and coming on. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate it. We have been wanting to get you on for a while now. And uh, with everyone locked down, we thought now was an opportune time. Yeah, I have got nowhere else to go. (laughs) (laughs) Just outside of wherever your computer is. Yeah. The Um, other room in this apartment. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks. And until then, keep screaming.